Arsenal hammer the hammers in East London. A stunning performance had thousands of home fans heading for the exits even before half-time. We're going to review the 6-0 win in full talk Arteta's tactical tweak and show some love for Arsenal's unsung hero. All of that plus more. Your questions answered as well on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. I am absolutely buzzing. I've not long got in from the London Stadium, actually. Um, Slowly made my way home, kind of took it all in, enjoyed the moment inside an empty London Stadium. Once it had all emptied out. When you have a a victory like that and a performance like that, sometimes you kind of just need to stop, compose yourself, think about what it is that you've just witnessed, take it all in and then head for the exits. And thankfully, because most of the West Ham fans had gone home, the trains weren't too bad either, which is always uh, a bonus. But what a performance we witnessed today. What a result. What an outcome. Um, I have to say, going into this game, I was quite nervous. I was quite concerned. We celebrated loads after the Liverpool victory last week. And maybe the fact that that was constantly being talked about throughout the week played on my mind and impacted the way I was feeling going into this fixture because I certainly felt this morning when I woke up that there was a lot of pressure on Arsenal. There was a real need to go out and get three points and follow up on what we managed against Liverpool last weekend. Now, I wasn't one of these people that were saying, I need this type of performance and I need this amount of goals. I literally just wanted us to take three points. It could have been an own goal off of somebody's backside in the 89th minute and I'd have taken it because it was just imperative today that we got the three points and we followed up last week's result with another positive one. And actually maybe sort of watching some of the games yesterday made me feel a slightly different type of way as well, because I was watching the City game and for large periods, they they just weren't able to break down Everton's resistance. And you looked at it and it got to around about, I think, what, 65, 70 minutes. And you started to think, maybe, just maybe Everton are going to hold on here. Maybe they're going to take something from this game. Obviously, it wasn't to be. Upstepped Erling Haaland, got a brace, and that was the end of that. Liverpool weren't playing very well in the first half. Took the lead, obviously, in the game, but then Burnley equalised, and you started to think, oh, you know, maybe there's something in this for Vincent Company's side. But again, it wasn't to be. Even Tottenham, who are part of the chasing pack, of course, got a 96-minute winner. And when all of that happens... The day before, you've got a big game against a side that, let's face it, all right, today's display aside, I know mugs, you worry. You're away from home. It's a London derby. David Moyes' sides have frustrated us in the past, and it is as recently as December when they rocked up at the Emirates and beat us. But I said it to you at the time, and I'll say it again now. The gulf between these two sides is huge. It really, really is. And if you kind of take the emotion out of the game back in December and you watched it back sort of the next day or a couple of days later when maybe you'd calmed down a little bit, you'd have seen that. You'd have seen that the gulf in class between the two sides is massive. 
unfortunately, what happens is circumstances, pressure, um, injuries, all of those things can have an impact on football matches. And sometimes it isn't as simple as that. And that's why you go into games like today and you feel a little bit of concern and you feel a little bit of anxiety. Now, when I arrived at the London Stadium uh, this afternoon and we got the team news, I had a few initial thoughts. First thought was, why the hell isn't Jorginho playing? He was outstanding against Liverpool. Um, you know, still no Thomas Partey, obviously. And I didn't think that Gabriel Jesus would be available. And so for me, it was, well, you've got to continue with Kai Havertz up front. Now, Mikel Arteta had to shuffle the pack a little bit because it was revealed before the game that Jorginho actually had been suffering a problem all week and had hardly trained. Um, therefore, it would have been a massive gamble to throw him into the side. But obviously, he got um, the nod to go on the bench. And, you know, it was telling kind of, I think, at the end of the game that when we started to make wholesale changes, he wasn't even turned to, which suggests that, you know, A, he did have a problem and B, you know, Mikel Arteta thought it was enough of a problem to not want to take any risk over him, given the state of the game as it was at that point. When I saw the starting eleven, I wondered if it would be Kai Havertz or Leandro Trossard up front. And I hoped, I hoped that it was Leandro Trossard because, not because I don't think Kai Havertz is good there. I, I love Kai Havertz in that position. I think he brings so much to the team when he plays in that position. But it was because I was thinking back to the, the Carabao Cup game that we played earlier on in the season where we went to the London Stadium. We played with Trossard in midfield. There was another game against Brentford away from home where we went there and we had Trossard as part of the midfield three. And it just didn't work. We were all just a little bit too lightweight in that area of the park. And what you do in that situation and in that scenario is you put a lot of work on Declan Rice and you put a lot of reliance on an outstanding player but sometimes it's too much against good opposition. And I hoped that we weren't going to go there and do the same thing with Suchek in midfield, with um, Alvarez in midfield and, and with James Ward-Prowse, who are all pretty, you know, combative and hardworking. I hoped that, you know, we wasn't going to do that. And by putting Kai Havertz in there, just added a little bit more physicality. And that's why I hoped before, obviously, the team set up and we got to see it and, and make good of what we kind of believed was the case based on the 11 uh, being put out. It was good to see that the decision was taken to put Trossard up front, but it was oh so fluid, wasn't it? Trossard would drop deep at times. It was his ball over the top that released Bukayo Saka for the run that he went through. And he obviously rounded the goalkeeper and won a penalty. It was, um, you know, Kai Havertz arriving at the far post at points. Sometimes it was Leandro Trossard. There was a lot of variety to our game today. And that was one of the key, key components. A lot of you guys said to me uh, when I did the preview show the other day, why didn't I put Takahiro Tomiyasu in my starting 11? I said that I felt that this game had probably come around a little bit too soon for the Japanese international having recently returned from the Asian Cup. And obviously Arsenal and Arteta felt that as well because he wasn't in the squad at all. We heard that Emil Smith-Rowe had picked up an ankle injury. He'd rolled an ankle in training, which meant he was unavailable and there was still no Zinchenko or Jesus. And actually... What I was worried about, you know, just ahead of kickoff was the lack of depth, the lack of options on the bench. And if I just bring up Arsenal's substitutes bench today and I read it out to you, it's hardly inspiring. Ramsdale, the goalkeeper, and then it was Enketia, Cedric, Jorginho, Nelson, Elneny, Bandera, Nwaneri and Walters. Now, if you were in desperate need of a goal, if you were looking 
for somebody to come on and turn the game in your favour. Who would you have looked to on that Arsenal bench? You know, maybe you'd have looked at somebody like, I don't know, maybe you'd have looked at someone like Eddie Nketiah. He is a centre forward after all. Reese Nelson has had his moments at times over the last year or so in Arsenal colours. But there wasn't that much there. You know, normally we have a Trossard there or, you know, one player that is your standout attacking option that you would bring on when you're in search of a goal. And that just wasn't um, something that we were really able to do today. So I was a little bit concerned um, ahead of kickoff. And I would have to say that I probably was a little bit concerned after the first 15 minutes as well. Uh, But of course, things in the end turned out bloody brilliant. We don't think we could have asked for more, could we, away from home? Uh, But you just look at that bench and it was pretty uninspiring. And so I felt a, a kind of a pressure on those guys that were the starting 11 to go out there and deliver and bring something to the table. Um, We're going to dive into the game. We're going to break it all down in detail. Uh, I just want to dive over into the live chat, see what some of you guys are saying as well. Lots and lots of you uh, with us. Uh, Martin Harvey says, fashionably late, Harry. I'm always fashionably late. And that's what I do. Um, Cesar says, and I don't know if this is true, I'm sorry if it is, but he says, I was at the London Stadium tonight. It wasn't tonight, so maybe he's not being completely truthful here. But he says, it was my first ever Arsenal game. My, and he puts in quote marks, girl is having financial issues at the moment. And she told me that if I flew to England, she'd leave me for not helping her out. Best decision I've ever made. Don't let your girlfriend get in the way of seeing your wife in brackets Arsenal. If that is true, that is some story. Um, it really, really is. Uh, big hello to uh, Coco Bolo. We've got Owen. We've got Carrie. Archangel is with us as well. Paul is in the chat too. Uh, Ivan says, uh, West Ham fans better address us nicely from now on. They were, they were getting a bit big for their boots, weren't they? After that uh, result earlier on in the season, just before or in between Christmas and New Year's, I should say. Uh, the Geordie Gunner says, again, Jakub Kivior doing a very good job. That cutout from the cross was a massive moment from me. Uh, yeah, in the first half, really, really good defending. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Damien says that Trossard is brilliant against the low blocks. He was happy to see him start. Um Mikey says uh, we were balling out with team discipline, proper coaching. Mark Harris says uh, absolutely top class performance today. Um, Ian Wallace says uh, what a game. Just thankful the hashtag outs are still silent. Long may it continue. Fatality says outstanding win today. So glad that young Ethan Waneri got some minutes too. Rice man of the match for me. Trossard was superb too. Uh, Sko says, and I know, look, I don't normally take this many comments at the start of the show, but I feel like I want to get through them because everyone's so happy and everyone's got loads to say. Uh, Sko says, more brilliant, uh, given it's following the absolute domination of Liverpool, people berating the complaining as if it's leading to complacency and poor mentality. Well, it isn't. This manager is on it. He absolutely is. Uh, lots more hallows to get through. We'll, we'll put a pause on that and we'll come back to it uh, in just a bit because I want to start um, by discussing the first 15 minutes of the game, I think it's a game that you need to kind of break down into sections to analyse properly. But I want to start by talking about the first 15 minutes. Then we'll move on uh, to the rest of the first half. And then, of course, uh, we'll bring some overall thoughts. I'm going to give you player ratings. We've got so much to get through on this episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. We're live on YouTube right now. If you're watching us 
leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel. If you haven't done so already for listening on audio, please do leave us a review. We're going to take a short pause and we'll be back. Okay, so you're probably wondering why I want to highlight the first 15 minutes of the game. It wasn't a significant period in terms of a goal being scored or, or there being any real um, key moment in it. But I thought the pattern of the game was quite interesting in that first 15 minutes. So I turned up at London Stadium and I thought that it was going to be Arsenal, 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 lots and lots of possession. West Ham sitting deep in their own half probably pushing their back line up maybe as far as halfway towards the halfway line. No, no more than that. I thought they'd be really wary and mindful of leaving spaces in behind. The kind of spaces that Arsenal exploited really, really well against Liverpool. David Moyes is a lot of things and he'll get a lot of stick for today's performance result. The fact that the stadium emptied at half time, pretty much uh, that fans were making for the exits. All of that will be um, discussed, of course. But despite that, he's not a silly manager. He's a very clever manager. He's very, very tactically astute. You don't have a career as long as his has been if you don't know what you're doing, right? And he is a specialist. He has been over the years at setting up low blocks and frustrating big sides. And that was what I expected today. So when the game started, Arsenal had quite a bit of the ball. And I thought that was going to be the case. Arsenal uh, were quite comfortable in building out from the back. And I thought that was going to be the case. But David Moyes had set a very clear trigger point in terms of when he wanted his West Ham press to, to click into gear. So it wasn't as basic as Moyes just saying, sit behind the ball, let them have the ball in their own half. We'll control the spaces. We don't need to get on the ball much. Instead, it was, we might not be able to play through this lot. So we have to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of trying to press and win the ball back. But they weren't going to be as adventurous as pressing our back four. Now, that did happen on occasion, but that clearly wasn't the strategy. They clearly targeted Declan Rice in the sixth position as the guy that they were going to press. Now, it wasn't always Declan Rice that was on the ball in that area, but essentially it was whoever in Arsenal colours picks up the ball in that area or whenever the ball moves into that area of the pitch, that triggers our press. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to be front-footed and we're going to try and hurt them. And that happened three, four times in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes of the game. Uh, Declan Rice receiving the ball there immediately under pressure. Odegaard, when he dropped deep and try and get into those positions, it would happen to him. Jakub Kivior lost it once to Mohamed Kudus on our left-hand side, their right-hand side. But again, it was once we'd moved the ball into that kind of middle third. That was when West Ham were looking to hurt us. And, you know, that's happened in the past. You know, we talk a lot about the need to protect whoever the six is to make sure that the core of your team is is well set up and and ready to kind of deal with transitions. Now, wide areas, you can kind of worry about them as a bit of a second thought because from wide, you know, you've got time to get back. You've got time to make sure that the player continues on his path on the outside. You can do things with your movement to prevent them cutting in. And if they do cut in from that type of position, from that type of distance, they've got a hell of a lot to do. And the chances of you conceding a goal aren't very high. So first and foremost, when we're defending, and we talk about this all the time on this podcast, it's about defending the middle of the pitch, the width of the penalty area. And after about 15, 20 minutes, I think Mikel Arteta picked up on this. I think Mikel Arteta picked up on the fact that Arsenal were struggling to move the ball through that particular part of the pitch. Um, 
And as a result of that, he made a slight tweak, a slight change that had huge significance on the way that the rest of the first half played out. Rather than um, abandoning going through that channel, rather than limiting Arsenal to playing only in the wide areas, which is essentially what West Ham were trying to force us into doing by deploying that kind of tactic. He decided, he looked at his two fullbacks and he went, I've got Ben White there, who, you know, has played as a centre-back for most of his career, who has played as a defensive midfielder at points in his career. And I've got Jakub Kivio, the other option, who is an out-and-out central defender, looked better, by the way, at left-back in the last couple of games, but has at times looked a little bit uncomfortable when inverted. So he looked at those two options and he weighed it all up. Who's going to be more comfortable on the ball in that particular area? And I'm talking about the area alongside Declan Rice. Well, it's going to be Ben White because I think technically he's at a higher level. Then he took into consideration which of the wingers can I afford to leave? Which one of my fullbacks can essentially leave his man and go infield when we're in possession. And if it takes him a couple of seconds to get back across when we lose the ball, which of those two players, Johnson or Kudus, is going to do us the least damage? And he obviously looked at Johnson and thought, he's the one. You can't leave Mohamed Kudus free on West Ham's right-hand side. You just can't do that. So if I'm going to sacrifice the marking of one of those two players, and, and almost allow for the fact that when the turnovers in possession happen, if they're quick enough, they're going to be able to get that ball out there nice and early. And he decided to, to invert Ben White. Now, that was key. In my opinion, that was key to the kind of dominance that Arsenal then kind of, you know, went on to exert over the course of the remainder of the first half. And I've, uh, I, if I just go over to my Twitter page, um, because I did highlight this during the game and I'm I'm pretty sure I took a picture uh, of Ben White in that very position just to kind of demonstrate uh, exactly what I mean here. So if we go over and you have a look at this, um, you'll see here. Let me just make sure it's coming through on the screen. So I said that West Ham have managed to win the ball high up on a few occasions in the opening 15, 20 minutes. And since that point, Arteta pushed Ben White infield to sit alongside Rice when in possession, protecting us against the transition. Why? Because if you lose the ball and you've got those two as a screen for a then back three of Saliba, Gabriel and Kivio, you've all of a sudden got five players there and then you can almost buy yourself a bit of time, hold them up and allow people to get back and support. And I also said that just to add to that, Arteta clearly feels that Kudus is more of a threat than Johnson. And it's another example of his improved in-game management, taking calculated risks in order to gain advantages elsewhere on the field. That's exactly what Mikel Arteta did today with this move. And it tipped the balance of the game completely. And we might have gone on and win the game anyway and won the game anyway. But all of a sudden, from not having created that much in terms of clear-cut opportunities, we had this spell before we scored of about 15 minutes or so where it was just chance after chance after chance, balls into the box. We were causing them all sorts of problems and we really ought to have scored before we actually did. And I was starting to get that feeling. I don't know about you guys of, oh, here we go again. Lots of Arsenal dominance, lots of uh, possession, but we haven't been able to make the opposition pay yet. That was what I was thinking at that point. But then, of course, came our opening goal. And I think... 
it's really, 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 really important that we give this man his flowers. Because if you ask me who the hero was for Arsenal today, or if I ask you who the hero for Arsenal was today, I'm sure the responses I'm going to get are uh, Bukayo Saka, William Saliba, Gabriel, Leandro Trossard, Declan Rice, all valid answers. Yeah, all valid answers. But you know who the real hero was for Arsenal today? And his work was essential in our victory over Crystal Palace as well. Um, just after, of course, the winter break. 5-0 win that day. But how did we get on top in that game? How did we get a foothold in that game? How did we create the platform from which we could then go and build on when, in truth, the game was tight in terms of the scoreline at that point? What made the difference? Set pieces made the difference. Nicholas Yova, Arsenal's set-piece coach, has been working wonders this season. We are a constant threat from set pieces. Every time I turn up to a game, I see a different setup. I see a different routine. Today, we saw all the players gathering at the far post every time we had a corner. And some of them would make a dart across the six-yard box, but not all of them. We saw short corners today. We saw corners um, played to the corner of the box. We saw all sorts. There's so much variation in our set pieces that they're really, really difficult to defend against. The use of blockers has become a real big thing in football at the moment when it comes to set pieces. And we seem to do it brilliantly with Nicholas Jova at the helm. So if you ask me who the hero is today, you'd have probably expected me to say Saka, Saliba, Gabriel, etc., etc., Rice, whatever. But I'm going to say Nicholas Jova because he has made the world of difference to Arsenal in this department. And it was telling against Crystal Palace because we got two goals from set pieces early on with some really complex and, uh, and really impressive routines. That put us in a position where we were cruising and then, you know, we were able to play our game, expose the opposition when they would venture forward, etc., etc. And today, that's what allowed us to break the deadlock. Not only did it allow us to break the deadlock, but it allowed us to add a third as well. And that was the goal that ultimately destroyed West Ham United's confidence, sucked all the life out of London Stadium today and put Arsenal in a position where they were cruising to victory. So I want to give some flowers, not literally, but, you know, hypothetically speaking, to Nicholas Jova, Arsenal's set-piece coach, who I think has been brilliant. Brilliant. Um, Saliba obviously got that first goal and it was great to see him uh, get on the score sheet. And as he wheeled away in celebration, I think you could see exactly uh, what that meant to him. The second goal was, of course, from a penalty kick. And I talked about in my intro about the variation in our forward play. Having Trossard um, playing as a kind of false nine and being able to drop into deep areas opening the corridors for your Odegaards um, to get forward, for your Havertz's to get forward, for your Martinelli's and Saka's to come in from those wide positions. Very similar to what Havertz facilitated, isn't it, against Liverpool just last week. But this was an example of Leandro Trossard dropping as deep as like the halfway line and dropping a beautiful ball over the top for Bukayo Saka, rounded the goalkeeper, um, got taken out by Ariola. Um, I saw some people online saying, well, hold on a minute. Um, you know, why wasn't he sent off? Pretty sure that double jeopardy rule is still in place, which means that if you give the penalty, you can't give um, the red card as well. And it's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Saka stepped up really, really confidently, sent the keeper the wrong way and Arsenal were two goals to the good. Then pretty shortly after that, 
Arsenal uh, added uh, the third goal. Uh, it was just three minutes after the Saka penalty, uh, by the way. And you thought Arsenal were going in at 3-0 at halftime, cruising towards a victory. And it was happy days at London Stadium. But no, Arsenal weren't done in terms of their first half scoring. Then Leandro Trossard with a really, really good finish into the top corner. I'll tell you what. I would go as far as saying that Leandro Trossard is the best finisher at Arsenal Football Club right now. I just feel so comfortable um, and so confident every time he gets into that type of position. He's just been such a good signing. When you think about what we paid for him, and there was a stat um, that I read going into the game. Leandro Trossard had contributed a goal or an assist every 99 minutes of football that he's played for Arsenal since he arrived at the football club. And only two players have a better ratio than that in Arsenal's recent history. Thierry Henry and Robin Van Persie. Not bad company to be in, Leo, is it? Um, brilliant. Brilliant. Fantastic stuff. Um, oh, my. I, I, would you? Archangel says, point of fact, you don't send the keeper the wrong way. Talk about trying to find something to be negative about, man. Jesus Christ. We won 6-0, man. Be happy. Be happy. But I take your point of fact on board. Um, there are loads and loads of comments coming through, and I will, I promise you, uh, spend a significant uh, amount of time uh, dealing with uh, those comments and going through them and, and addressing those because there's going to be some great stuff in there. There always is. I just, I'm in that mode where I want to reel off my thoughts so I don't forget anything important. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, let's um, let's uh, let's read a few of them now uh, before we continue uh, on into the second half. Uh, uh, Neil D'Souza um, says, unpopular opinion, but Benjamin White playing in the inverted role was better than Zinni this season. I don't disagree with that. I thought he was great today. It's a small sample size because I, although Ben White doesn't play a conventional fullback role, I don't think we see this, what we saw today, that much. In fact, I, I don't recall ever seeing him doing it as obviously, um, you know, as, as obviously as it was happening today. I think there have been stages in games and moments in games where he stepped into midfield, but not like that. That was that was special. It really, really was. Uh, Paul James says, uh, did you notice our front four were rotating position, making it impossible for defenders to know uh, who to pick up. Yeah, that was kind of the point I was making about the variety and variation to our game, which really, really was um, inspiring to see. If it feels like I'm looking left and right and straight and all the rest of it, um, I've changed the setup in the man cave. I spent all day yesterday clearing it out, got rid of a load of stuff. Um, and I felt like my camera shot was a little bit messy with stuff going on in the background. So I moved all the furniture around cleared it all out. But now I've got like a screen to my right, which I don't normally have, which is confusing me a little bit. The camera's right down here. It's normally to the side. So I'm trying uh, to get used to that. So apologies if, um, if I'm giving you a bit of a headache, if you're having to look left, right uh, and center. <laughs> um, okay, let's, um, let's take a few more of these comments. Bear with me a second. Um, just a uh, just a scrolling through those and I'm going to pick a few bits and pieces out. Remember, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video, guys. It really, really does help. And I can see right now uh, there's a fair few hundred of you uh, with us live right now. Always good, isn't it, after a result like that? Uh, we've only got 113 likes on the board, though. There is no reason, no reason whatsoever why we shouldn't have 
250, 300 likes um, on this uh, on this video right now. Sko says, uh, Harry, did you notice the large increase in crossing and early crossing, especially in the first half? I thought that was interesting and unusual for us. Maybe to surprise West Ham and maybe because Kai was up top. Well, obviously having Kai uh, and, and having him A, in the team, but B, affording him that license to make those runs. It does give you an aerial advantage that we previously didn't have. So that's another kind of thing to our game, right? Um, and it, you're right, we did seem to cross the ball earlier. And that's a good thing because, you know, the, the defence can't always get set. The, the different angle can be unsettling and awkward to deal with at times for defenders as well. So there's a lot of value in doing that. I think one of my kind of big takeaways from today, and, that, you know, I know we're going to get back on track with the kind of running order, but... One of my big takeaways from today was that Mikel Arteta is building a team that, that listen, you're never going to get a complete team. I don't think there's any such thing as a, a fully complete team. You know, I remember the Invincibles, for example, people used to say we weren't as good at set pieces as some other sites, but we were bloody good at counterattacking. We were bloody good at dominating the game. We had so much going for us, but you can always find something with a team that isn't quite at that tip-top level. When I look at this Arsenal team, I, I don't think we're anywhere near this yet and I wouldn't want to get carried away and I'm not encouraging others to do so either. But you do think it's a team that can play brilliant football, that can muck in and defend when they need to, but is also a massive threat from set pieces. It's kind of like Mikel Arteta's ticked as many boxes as possible. And that's what I find so impressive about this side. All right, at points this season, we haven't looked at our brilliant best. The free-flowing football hasn't been there, but we've displayed that we can grind out results. And now, you know, I think what you saw today was a kind of culmination of all of that and almost the perfect performance in that we showed that, you know, when West Ham were nicking the ball off us high up early on in the half, we could deal with that. We can adapt to that, that we're very, very flexible and adaptable but also that we can make the difference via set pieces if the football's not going all our way. But equally, you know, we can rip teams apart uh, in the way that's great on the eye as well. So it just feels like there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of different skills within this team and there's a lot of different abilities, which is, is just brilliant. Um, it, it's brilliant. Uh, Alistair Ben says, uh, enjoyed your commentary on the radio. I had radio on while watching the game miles better. Uh, commentary. Thank you so, so much, mate. Um, I wasn't the main commentator today, so um, props to um, Phil Parry, who is honestly just an unbelievably good commentator. Um, he's been amazing to me as well uh, in terms of giving me the opportunities at, at BBC Radio London and allowing me to be a part of the commentary team, even when it's not my game uh, like today. It's just amazing. So a big shout out to him. And of course, uh, Steve Brown, who was alongside him today. It was great fun as well. Uh, we had a good laugh, um, given that the second half wasn't much of a contest. <laughs> okay, um, so it was half time, 4-0 to the Arsenal. And there was a mass exodus at London Stadium. And it's always difficult to tell at half time what exactly is going on because people get out of their seats, they, they make their way into the walkways and then they head towards the concourse. And it's very easy to go, oh, well, they must all be leaving. But a lot of them would have been going to get a beer or going to get an early drink or heading for the loo or something um, because it was half time. And then it popped up on the screen on the monitors in front of us that thousands upon thousands of West Ham United fans were heading for the exits. And 
I don't think as a fan, there's anything more satisfying than turning up at someone's ground, absolutely thumping them and watching them all head for the exits early. Like that is the biggest indicator of a brilliant, beautiful performance. And that's what we got today. Then, of course, the second half started. Uh, Bukayo Saka uh, made it five. Really poor defending, I thought, from Nayef Aguer. He just drifted, didn't he, Bukayo Saka, into that half space. And once he got the ball, it just felt like it all opened up for him. And what I thought was really impressive, by the way, about this finish was that it would have been very, very easy for him to kind of just open up his body, go across the goal. Instead, he kind of gave Ariola the eyes and the goalkeeper, as a result, just completely rooted to the spot, couldn't get anywhere near Saka's effort because he reversed it back just inside the near post. And then goal number six. My favourite goal of the afternoon, this, and I'll tell you why it was my favourite goal. Declan Rice, obviously, went back to London Stadium earlier in the season when we played them in the Carabao Cup. Got a bit of a mixed reception from the West Ham fans that night, I felt. Then we, of course, played them in the league and West Ham came out on top somehow in a game that we completely dominated. And again, you know, a lot of the, the nonsense online after the game was West Ham fans being critical of Declan Rice. Oh, Declan, what have you joined them for? They're not going to win the league, blah, 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 all of that nonsense. We turned up today and I was curious as to how Declan Rice was going to take the inevitable booze that he was going to receive and the, the sort of criticism that he was obviously going to get from some of the West Ham fans. Let me be absolutely clear. It wasn't all of the West Ham fans. In fact, the majority of West Ham fans were really respectful to Declan Rice. When he went over to take a corner in the first half, there was a few boos. But by and large, from what I could see looking at that side of the ground, most of them got up off their feet and applauded him. When he went off as a substitute, he was applauded by the majority of the London Stadium, those who had stayed, of course, and, and hadn't already left by that point. But the reason I was really delighted with the fact that he scored that goal, because not only was it a banger, not only have I fallen in love with Declan Rice since he's joined Arsenal Football Club, but I talked about, you know, one of the biggest sort of indicators of a great performance is when the opposition fans start leaving at half time because you're so in control and you've literally blown them out of the water. But I think the minority, and it was a minority, that booed Declan Rice, that jeered Declan Rice, that in their own heads, for some weird reason, seemed to think that Declan Rice was in any way disrespectful to West Ham United Football Club during the transfer process um, from which he left them and joined Arsenal. Like, what are you on? Like, where does that come from? I, I don't understand it. This isn't Robin Van Persie going to Man United. This isn't Ashley Cole going to Chelsea. I, I just don't understand where this animosity and disrespect comes from. Um, when it's when I'm talking about West Ham fans and Declan Rice, you look around the stadium, they've got the Billy Bond stand, they've got the Trevor Brookings stand, two guys that had lifted trophies, silverware with West Ham United. Declan Rice has done that too. Where is the respect for Declan Rice? And that goal, for it to be A, the sixth goal, which obviously was take took the game from comfortable win to humiliating, and B, for it to be a goal of that nature, of that quality, 
was exactly what that group of supporters, and again, I stress that it's not the majority, that minority of West Ham fans that were jeering him, that were booing him, that were calling him all sorts. That was what they deserved today, to have to watch Declan Rice turn up, boss and marshal a midfield in a 6-0 win over their side, and then rifle one into the top corner the way he did and um, and be the one that puts the cherry on the cake. But brilliant, brilliant display from Declan Rice. Ethan Waneri got some time, um, which was good to see. Great to see. I thought he looked really, really promising during that kind of cameo role uh, that he played. I thought it was really, really interesting as well that Mikel picked him um, out on that right. He brought him on and, and put him out on that right-hand side. I thought that was... That was good because I think in a game like that in the Premier League, right? Personally, I think Waneri is a player that will, in the long term, play in a more central role. But I think when you put him out on the right-hand side, he's got obviously less defensive responsibility. The game state allowed him to come on and allowed him to get plenty of the ball, plenty of touches. um, And there wasn't that pressure. It felt like the perfect environment. But also when you play him from the right and you let him drift, it means that he can ghost into areas, which means he's going to get a little bit more time and space. And it's what you need when you're a kid sort of breaking into a scene. This guy's 16 years old. It's mad to think. But I was super, super impressed with what I saw of him. Technically, looks really good. Some really great touches. Um, some uh, really fantastic bits of movement. There were a couple of really, really good passes that he saw and executed as well. They didn't result in what Arsenal hoped they would, but... Um, I just sort of watched him really, really closely, kind of went into kind of player cam mode on Ethan Waneri once he came onto the pitch. And and I thought he was really, really impressive. And look, when you go away from home in the Premier League and you're so bloody good that you can bring Elneny and Cedric on and nobody bats an eyelid, that's when you know you've had a great day. (laughs) Oh, dear. Brilliant, brilliant day. Okay, uh, we're going to do some player ratings uh, in a second. And then after that, we're going to spend the remainder of the show going through your comments, going through your questions. Please start getting them in. Um, I will favor as many of them as I possibly can while you're putting them in. um, And then I will tackle as many of those as I possibly can. Arsenal, 6-0 winners at the London Stadium. What a time to be alive. Brilliant. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Fantastic. Player ratings coming right after this. Okay, I'm going to give you my player ratings. This is a bit where we get to talk about individual performances that little bit more as well. Uh, David Raya, I'm going to give him a seven, not because he did anything wrong. I thought he was fantastic um, in all the things that he had to do. Although I think West Ham only had one effort on target which was a really tame effort. If I'm not mistaken, it took a big deflection as well, which took the sting out of it. But Raya had to save it anyway, you know. So Raya, 7 out of 10. Um, Moving into the defence, I'm going to give Ben White an 8. I thought it was brilliant um, in terms of adapting his game midway through that first half in order to give us a real tactical advantage. Uh, So Ben White gets an 8 for me. Saliba gets an eight as well. Defended really, really well. Had a couple of hairy moments early on, actually, with the ball at his feet, where I just felt that he dwelled on it a little bit and almost got caught in possession. Um, But then he pops up with the breakthrough goal, which means that anything less than an eight would be uh, unfair of me. Gabriel, eight as well. Another superb performance from him. And again, um, another big goal from him. We know what he can do from those set-piece situations. He's magnificent, isn't he? Then uh, if I move over to the left-back position, I'm going to give Jakob Kivior an eight. 
um, stuck to his task of defending Mohamed Kudus's space really, really well, but also got forward on occasion as well and and helped us to kind of squeeze West Ham um, up into areas that they just didn't want to be, helped us pin them back at points as well. And another comfortable performance from him. And I feel like his confidence, even in that left-back role, which I don't think is anywhere near his best role, by the way, is just starting to, to build. Somebody in the chat earlier on mentioned that clearance that he made from across in the first half where West Ham got down the left-hand side and he sort of come across the defender and dealt with it. That was kind of his centre-back instinct kicking in, wasn't it? But I really, really thought he had a good game today. Moving into midfield, I thought our midfield today was out of this world in terms of winning duels, in terms of creativity, in terms of uh, contributing as well uh, in front of goal. Declan Rice gets a nine for me. You know, we've talked about him always being a kind of seven and a half, eight, um, never anything less than that. And I think that that continues to be the case with Declan Rice. But today it was just, you know, he was he was a boss in midfield. And the thing that, you know, that, that makes me give him a nine is not just uh, what he did in terms of the goal. Obviously, that's great. And we know that he can hit a ball. We know that he can strike a ball. We've seen it before. But I think for a player like Declan Rice, who clearly has a strong connection with West Ham United, right? It's a club that he's grown up at. It's a club that means the world to him. It's a club that he's won silverware with, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a club that, although he wanted to leave because he wanted to better himself and progress his career, he'd have left with a heavy heart. And I think it's difficult sometimes to manage those emotions when you play against a side that you've had such a strong connection to, especially when a group of supporters within that ground are giving you grief and giving you stick when in your own head, you probably can't justify or account for why that is even the case. Declan Rice will know full well that he was um, super professional throughout the transfer process, never said a word, never fueled any of the speculation. None of that was happening uh, during that time, but it must be quite difficult to kind of block that out. And it must be quite difficult to, prevent that from impacting your performance in any other way because Declan Rice is a heart on your sleeve kind of guy and he will he will be I obviously didn't affect his game because he was bloody top quality but he will be coming off of that pitch today thinking why are some of them booing me right and I know that there's a lot of stuff you can say to that right you can say well it's just the modern world it's just the way it goes now football fans are fickle etc etc and you know you always get those idiots on social media that you know that uh, fuel this type of kind of narrative and negativity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You could say all of that stuff, and it's all valid. But I still think Declan Rice, someone who gave his heart and soul to that football club, will have been coming off the pitch wondering why that was today. So for him to um, score a goal and perform the way he did, with all of that going on in the background, I think is I think is brilliant. And as time goes on, the more times he faces West Ham, the less of an impact that's going to have. Martin Odegaard, nine out of ten for me. Um, superb performance. I actually meant to say this during the week and I, and I, I never got around to doing it. Um, but I did feel that when I watched the Liverpool game back, I was probably a little bit harsh in my assessment of Odegaard's performance. I didn't say it was bad or anything like that, but I certainly didn't give him a top tier rating, not as good as some of the other ratings. I don't think I have the note on my desk because I chucked a load of stuff away yesterday, um, where I would have seen what I gave him, but watching him today, he was just, he was everywhere. He was magnificent on the ball, off the ball. Um, and I 
picked up a stat from Opta Joe. Um, Arsenal's Martin Odegaard is the first player on record since the 2003-2004 season, because that's when they started keeping these records. But he's the first player on record to complete 100-plus passes. He completed 107 uh, today and create at least five chances. So he created seven chances today and assist multiple goals in the same Premier League match. Of course, he got two assists today. Maestro, what performance. Stunning performance. So he gets a nine as well. Kai Havertz gets an eight for me. And I know I'm, I'm waiting for the comments to fill up with people going, what did Kai Havertz do today? Because that's what we hear every time Kai Havertz comes off the football pitch. But Kai Havertz did a great job of helping out in midfield, um, making clever, smart moves in between the lines, interchanging positions with the likes of Trossard and Martinelli. And he was a big part of that fluid attack that caused West Ham United so many problems today. So Kai Havertz uh, gets an eight for me. Martinelli gets a seven, not because I thought he was bad. I just didn't think he was where we were having the most joy. He got beyond this man a couple of times. He put a really good cross in in the first half across the face of the six-yard box that Martin Odegaard really ought to have put in. Um, but it just wasn't Martinelli's best game. But equally, he was brilliant against Liverpool and maybe... You know, Saka, well, Saka was good against Liverpool as well, but maybe he wasn't quite as good as Martinelli on that day. That's the thing. As long as one of them performs, you're good. Um, I'm not saying that Martinelli didn't perform, but I didn't think he was great today. So he gets a seven. Only two players in my 11 today got sevens. One was Raya because he didn't have anything to do, really, of note. And one was Martinelli, not because I thought he was bad, just because I thought he was slightly um, underwhelming. I thought that West Ham targeted him a little bit with some of the physical treatment that they were dishing out. And I think that maybe got to him uh, as the game went on. Leandro Trossard for me gets an eight. Really, do you know what? I'm going to change that. Leandro Trossard gets an eight and a half uh, for me because it was a really, really good performance. The movement was clever. Um, the, the work rate was there. The ghosting into different areas of the pitch, the communication between him and those around him in order to kind of decide who was going where and when was just brilliant. And the finish for his goal was superb. Plus that ball over the top for Saka that won the penalty. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And Bukayo Saka today, I'm going to give Bukayo Saka a nine and a half. This was Bukayo Saka at his brilliant best. Beating fullbacks, cutting inside onto that left foot, get into the byline. He was doing all of that today. All of the stuff that at various points this season, we've said he's not doing enough of anymore. It feels like it's really clicked again with Bukayo Saka. And it was great that Mikel Arteta was able to get both him and Declan Rice off uh, with around, what, 20 minutes to go in the game. Uh, 25 minutes even, possibly, uh, to kind of give those guys a bit of a breather ahead of next weekend's game. Just brilliant stuff all around. So let me run you through my player ratings once more before we uh, finish the show on you guys is questions. Make sure uh, they are coming in. Uh, Raya, seven. White, eight. Saliba, eight. Gabriel, eight. Kivior, eight. Rice, nine. Odegaard, nine. Havertz, eight. Martinelli, seven. Trossard, eight and a half. Saka, nine and a half. Those are my player ratings. I know some of you would disagree with them. Tough. Get yours in the comments and I'll have a read of them a little bit later on. Okay, let's get into the chat box and let's spend the remainder of the show taking your questions. 
Right, time for my favorite part of the show. I love this bit. I love this bit because you guys make me think of stuff that I would never have thought of of my own um, back. It's, it's really good. The interaction is brilliant. And to see that across platforms, there's over 500 of you with me live right now is, is pretty amazing. Um, if you could, please leave a like on the video. That would really, really help. We're not a million miles away from 250 likes. I'd love to be at that point by the time we end the stream. So if you haven't done so already, leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you're new, turn on the notification bell as well. That way you never miss an episode, never miss a trick. And of course, if you're listening on audio, leave us a review. Okay, let's get some of those questions. Uh, Paul James says, do you think Rice should have celebrated? I understand why he didn't, but just want your opinion. I would have. No, I think what Declan Rice did was the right thing um, because we, we mentioned it before, but I think Declan will know that some of the boos, some of the jeers that he sort of was on the receiving end of, they were coming from a minority. There's no doubt about that. They weren't coming from the majority. The majority respect him, love him for what he did for the football club. And one of the reasons that I can sit here and we can all sit here and be really critical of those fans is that Declan Rice has been classy throughout. And I would I would have been a little bit disappointed if he didn't stay classy. I mean, if he scored an 89th minute winner in a game that you desperately need to win that was finally balanced at that point, I think mean, that's totally different. But in these circumstances, I think he was right uh, to, to sort of be muted in his celebration. That kind of brings me on to another point. I thought Arsenal's celebrations after the game were really muted. Um, I know it's different when you sort of win a game late in comparison to when... Uh, you sort of are cruising towards that victory from even before half time. But do you reckon the chat in the week got to them a bit? Because I remember when the final whistle went and sort of Arteta walks out onto the pitch, shakes hands with everyone, etc., etc. I remember getting my phone and sort of pointing it at the pitch and thinking, come on, Mikel, go and fist pump the crowd. That will really wind the Liverpool fans up, won't it? And or, I say Liverpool fans, to be fair, Liverpool fans were fine about it. We'll wind up Jamie Carragher, though, wouldn't it? If he gives it a couple of fist pumps, I'd love to capture that on video. But he didn't. It was all really, really muted. And um, I just wonder if that did have any impact or any effect. But in answer to your question, Paul, I think that Declan was right to stay classy. I think that's the best thing to do. Okay. Um, Tony Fulbrook says, uh, Harry, with Ben White, could he develop into a DM as cover? Yeah, I think he can. Uh, we know he's got the quality to do so. And we know that Timber's going to come back. He can play it right back if needs be. Tommy Asu can play it right back if needs be. Um, we know that Timber as well can play as a DM as well. So we've got loads of options. We've talked a lot this season about the versatility we have within this squad, particularly in those defensive areas. And I think it's a great thing. I think it does leave you short of bodies when you're too over-reliant on versatility. But, you know, when everyone's fit and available, it's, it's great, isn't it? Ian Wallace says, is it time we all sit back and admit that Arteta is evolving as a manager? His tactics for the last couple of games have been spot on, and that's with seven players out injured. That's why I am so pro Mikel Arteta. This guy took this job out of nowhere. Okay, he'd been an assistant manager. He'd never done a job like this. He'd never done a manager's job, let alone a job of this magnitude, of this scale at a club like Arsenal Football Club. But the most impressive thing about Mikel Arteta and the most impressive thing about this team 
and why I think fans should be super encouraged with what they're seeing, regardless of whether we win the league or not, is that we are constantly improving and is that we are constantly adapting. That is what is required to be at the very top of football nowadays. That adaptability, that flexibility. And Mikel Arteta has shown this season that he has that. Have the performances always culminated in the results that we wanted? No, they haven't. You know, there's been games where we've dominated and just not been able to apply those finishing touches. But generally speaking, we've got better at set pieces when it comes to attacking from them. We've got better at controlling possession. We're far less vulnerable to counter-attacks. There's a lot to be pleased with. And I mentioned an example in the podcast earlier on about in-game management, the decision to put White in field, the decision to decide whether Kudus or Johnson should be the one to leave and, and going with, um, you know, Johnson as the one that you can leave and, and taking that calculated risk in order to gain an advantage somewhere else on the pitch. That is brilliant in-game management. And that's why when Mikel Arteta makes a mistake, I don't kill him for it because I know that he is still learning. As long as someone is showing that they're learning and progressing and developing, that's all you can ask for. And um, I'm, I'm loving what we're seeing at the moment. I really, really am. Really, really am. Okay, uh, what else have we got? Uh, let's roll through some more of the comments. Alistair says, how can you give anyone less than an eight today? I'm really harsh with my ratings. Um, that's a, that's well known. Um, but yeah, only the two players on the seven. And one of them was because, um, for me, he just didn't have enough involvement through no fault of his own. You never, you, and, and we don't want him to have involvement. You don't want your goalkeeper uh, to have uh, involvement. Uh, what have we got? What have we got? What have we got? Uh, Paul James asks if Arteta got lucky with his team selection. Injuries determined the starting 11. The score after 75 minutes meant in one area he could get minutes. I mean, I would take the point that Arteta was limited in what he could do with the team because of the problems that we have. But to say it was lucky, I don't know. I think he'd have rather had everybody fit and healthy and had that dilemma. Uh, Ilya says, is this the office? Um, Yes, yeah, the man cave just sort of tidied up a little bit. It's one of those places that because my wife never ventures in here, it can very easily get very messy and very out of control and out of hand because there's no one to tell me, Harry, pick that up. Harry, you've left stuff all over the sofa. Harry, you've left stuff all over the table. I mean, the other day I came in and I had about, when I came in to tidy up yesterday, I had about 18, I counted 18 bottles of water, empty, but 18 bottles of water just put in various places around it. So I had to clean it up, had to tidy it up. And we're going for a more clean look now. <laughs> uh, Galvo says, uh, what next for Waneri? Loan or does he go the Saka route? I mean, it's an interesting one because I think that, you know, when someone's 16 years old, you've got to be really, really careful with how you manage them. There's lots and lots that comes with the territory of becoming a big footballer and, and a very well-known footballer. And if you're making a mark on Arsenal's first team, you're going to overnight become really, really famous. And I don't think at 16 years old, that's an easy thing to manage. I don't think it's an easy thing to manage at any given point. But I think when you're 16 years old, I think there's an even bigger need for those around you to protect you and make sure... Um, that you're not victim to some of the struggles that can come with that stuff. I looked at Waneri 
last season at various points. And I looked at him earlier on this season when covering a few games for sort of the under-21s, Premier League 2 games. And I thought super talented, really, really gifted. But I'm always very, very reluctant to say that players that stand out at that level are automatically going to fit in and slot into a team playing at Premier League level. I think a lot of the reason that he looked so comfortable today was because the game state was what it was. I mean, you could argue that if the game state wasn't what it was at that point, he doesn't come on at all. But it was the perfect opportunity for Mikel to get him out there, get him in amongst the first team, get him playing, get him working out the patterns. And I mentioned earlier that I think bringing him on to play primarily from the right-hand side with, of course, that freedom to drift in field was the right way to do it as well. But I really do believe that this guy is talented enough to be knocking on the door of the first team, to be in the squad on match days sooner rather than later. Because what I saw was a technically brilliant performance. Um, I saw a maturity. I saw intelligence in his movement. And I just think that this guy is a really, really special talent. And I'm not one to get carried away with youngsters. I'm really not especially not a 16-year-old. But I can't help what I see, right? I can't deny what I see. My eyes see a really talented young man who I think has got a big, big future in football and in the game. And there's no guarantee that young players with potential live up to that potential. We've seen it happen time and time again. But this is one I'm really bloody excited about. The last one I was really excited about was probably Martinelli. And that's worked out quite well. Um, so, yeah. I think uh, I think big things are coming for Ethan Wanieri, and I'm delighted that the club have been able to persuade him that his future is at Arsenal Football Club. And moments and opportunities like he got today are only going to help um, in terms of making him hungry for more, but also convincing him of his value to this football club. Okay, uh, Ivan says, "What do you think Arteta should do once Jesus is back healthy? We seem to be gaining form." And I'm not sure if his reintroduction will stunt us. I think that Jesus is a superb player, right? I really, really do. And I think he's a big part of why Arsenal have gone from where they were two seasons ago to where they are today uh, in terms of the improvement. He's been a big part of that. Him and Zinchenko, whatever you want to say about them today and their fitness records and their um, tendency to go down with injuries, they've been a big part of taking Arsenal to that next level. So I don't want to write any of them off. Um, I don't want to um, discount his value because I think his value is huge. And I think he's going to have a big part to play between now and the end of the season. But what it means now, because we've picked up form, because we're scoring goals with such freedom, you know, that's 16 goals in four Premier League games now for Arsenal. Because of all of that, you don't have to rush him back. And the fact that you don't have to rush him back probably means that he'll be able to recover from whatever issue he's got at the moment. We know it's to do with that knee. And we know that at times in the past, we've rushed him back because we've been desperate. And having that form and that level of quality in your front line all producing at this moment in time means that you don't have to do that, that you don't have to fall into that trap of... Um, of rushing him again and hopefully whatever this problem is, he can put it behind him um, and and move forward. Uh, Tony Fulbrook says, uh, let's not forget how some of our supporters treat Havertz. So let's not be hypocrites. Yeah, um, he's referring to my comments about the West Ham fans, but I don't treat Kai Havertz like that. 
So I think I'm well within my rights to call out those guys. Um, but you're right in terms of there are a lot of Arsenal fans that are horrible when it comes to Declan, uh, Declan Rice, Kai Havertz, and that needs to stop. That needs to stop. Uh, Enzo says, uh, do you agree that the reason Martinelli hasn't had his best season so far is because the personnel on the left side changes literally every other week? It's a good point. It's difficult to build relationships, isn't it, with people when that person that you're expected to work in tandem with and in unison with down that left-hand side is always somebody different. So I, I completely agree. I think that's a really uh, valid point, really good point. Um, love it. Okay. Um, what else have we got? <laughs> Robert says, uh, will one airy always stay 16? Seriously, he's something. Said that when I saw Sesk and Jack. Yeah, and he's he's very kind of, he reminds me a bit of Jack Wilshire in that he is, He's got that low center of gravity, left-footed, always looking to kind of, you know, break lines, play passes right and left, very switched on, very clever. Um, I, I think this this is a controversial take. Maybe, I, actually, I don't think it's a controversial take. I think that Cesc Fabregas was a level above Jack Wilshire, and I think what he went on to achieve in his career um, kind of proved that. But, yeah, I, I think, Hopefully he can take the good bits from both because I think that one of the problems Jack Wilshire had was that I don't always think that he protected the ball well enough. I thought his dribbling style at times was a little bit loose in that he'd let the ball run away from him a little bit. And that would tempt people into making strong challenges to try and win it back. It would commit people. And he didn't obviously and unfortunately have the strength in it or you know the body, shall we say, to kind of deal with that and as a result, the injuries mounted up and, you know, he ended up having all sorts of problems. But I just, yeah, um, I look at one area and I'm excited and I think huge, huge talent. But I also don't want to get carried away. I really don't. Harry, don't fall into that trap. I'm trying so bloody hard. Um, but great comment, as always, Robert. Thank you uh, so, so much. Look, guys, um, I'm going to leave it there. Um, I'm going to call it a day call it a night and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna where we can continue to wax lyrical about this Arsenal side we can continue to reflect on the performance once I've watched the game back as well we can look at it in a little bit more detail in terms of tactics um, and, and some of the kind of intricacies of the game but thank you uh, for giving up uh, part of your Sunday night to join me. I really, really, really do appreciate it. Um, I love it when I get to do the podcast on the same night of the game as well. And obviously the early kickoff today, well, it allowed for that to happen. Uh, big thanks to everybody who's joined us live throughout uh, the YouTube stream. Please do leave a like on it if you haven't done so already. We're not quite at the 250 likes mark. I'd love to get there by the time I hit the end stream button. Uh, so please help me with that leave uh, your comments and thoughts down below uh, and if you're listening on audio please do subscribe as well up the arsenal what a performance what a win we're right in this title race now aren't we six goals at the london stadium including an absolute screamer from declan rice have a bit of that west ham united arsenal are in irresistible form at the moment and long may it continue you've been listening to the chronicles of aguna podcast thank you for your continued support at parker our purpose is simple 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.